We're on the land of the Wurundjeri, Wurrung people of the Kulin Nation, and this place is called Bulakabek Nam, which I've only found out fairly recently, but I'm pleased to be able to use Bulakabek Nam as the uh, name of the place I live in and pay my respects to the Wurundjeri, Wurrung people. Welcome to Season 5 of the Prima Donna Podcast, Sonic Portraits of Australian Artists. These episodes comprise interview recordings and original music, celebrating creative elders across all disciplines. The third episode in this series features Jean Taylor, a writer, publisher and activist living on Wurundjeri Woiwurrung country in Bulakabek, Nam. She has been a member of feminist activist collectives in the women's liberation movement since the early 1970s and was a founding member of the Performing Older Women's Circus, POW, for women over 40. My name's Jean Taylor. I'm a writer, a radical lesbian feminist, publisher, archivist. I'm also a grandmother. <laughs> I've been living here in Bullockbeck Nam for since 1970. Um, I really liked the area, the urban area. And I think I was very lucky. I, I just sort of lucked into getting into um, Bullockbeck, or Brunswick as it's called. And, and haven't moved since. I've, I find it a very vibrant suburb. Back in 1970, of course, it was much more working class migrant area. And there's still lots of that around, you know. But it has gentrified a lot <laughs> since that time, of course. And I've been a, a radical lesbian feminist activist since the I came out in 1979 as a, as a lesbian. But before then, I was a radical feminist in the women's liberation movement as well. So, and I've worked in refuges, written books about the women's liberation movement and our activism. Because having joined the archive group from back in the day, uh, I'm a great believer in documenting all of our actions and what we're doing. Because I'm a writer, I'm documented as a writer. I started writing as a child. I really liked the idea of writing. I'm an avid reader. Most writers are avid readers. And so I was reading very much from a very early age in books and loved them. And so I decided that when I was um, still primary school, actually, <laughs> that I would write a book, which I did. It was only a small little book, and I used to read it to my younger brother who liked it. But then through my teen years, about the only thing I was doing in the way of writing was compositions for schools. I think in our teen years, especially for young women, uh, teenage girls, it's very hard to do anything outside schoolwork because you're expected to, you know, excel or do, you know, at least show an interest. And in amongst everything else that you go, that's happening as a teenager. So it wasn't, I didn't actually start writing seriously as an adult until I tried, because I was pregnant at 17, I, I got married at 18 and had a couple of kids by the time I was 19. So I was fairly busy through my late teens. I had started training as a nurse and left that when I became pregnant. And um, then I really, I, it was then that I thought I want to start writing again, but I just could not do it with the kids in the house. There was no way I could do writing when there's babies around and toddlers, because you need to, 
oversee them and watch them every minute of the day. Plus, I was working in between pregnancies. We didn't have enough money, of course, back back then. I was doing some nursing. And so it wasn't until my children went to kindergarten. You know, there was a big push in those days for kids to go to kindergarten before they went to school. And they were three and four, and I had three hours a day. And that's when I started writing and wrote my first novel in those couple of years. I only wrote fiction for many years, and I had a pseudonym, Emily George, and I published my work too from um, 1976 onwards. I had this idea that I'd start writing, I'd send the book off and it would get published, and when that didn't happen, and I, I had other books that I wanted to write, I thought, well, I'm going to have to just keep writing and hopefully, you know. And then mid-70s, and I realised that getting published was a lot harder than just writing, and I still wanted to continue writing. And when I was at La Trobe Uni, because I went back as a mature-age student and got a degree, which I haven't used, but it was extracurricular activities I really liked, and I was on Rabelais, the student newspaper, for a while, and learnt about publishing in as much as that I was doing cutting and pasting, you know, corrections in those days. You did everything by hand. And I thought, well, this is fairly straightforward. I could do that. And I, by that time, I was in the women's liberation movement. We just all encouraged each other. You want to do this? Just do it. You know, if you want to put out a book, just do it. So I published my first book in 76. Went overseas in 77. And when I came back, I'm 78 and 79 and 80, I put out three more books. And I started with the poetry, then I did short stories, and then I did two novels. And then I took a break for a while. By the time I came out as a lesbian, and I started seriously writing my books even more so. And uh, didn't get back to publishing till 84, when I set up Dyke Books. So I was putting out two novels a year, working and saving all my money went into publishing in those days. And, uh, because that's what I want to do, just write and publish. And when I first started publishing, I was very hesitant. It was an embarrassing thing to do, to put your work out into the world. But I realised that once your book's in your hand, it's a completely different thing from scribbling on a bit of paper over here. Suddenly you've got a recognisable product. And I stopped being embarrassed. And I, I realised that I had fallen into a good way of um, not only doing my writing, because I was I had to discipline myself and I started being really quite disciplined about it, but I could also publish my work, which is an absolutely, you know, free freeing up. And um, as many women have done over the years, you know, for Virginia Woolf set up her own publishing house with her husband, and she actually writes that she was one of the luckiest person, you know, writers in the world because she knew that whatever she wrote, she could get published. And that is such a freeing thing. If you've got control of your writing and your publishing, you can, you know, as a writer, the world's your oyster, really. <laughs> so even though I have had one book published by Spinifex Press, the C word, um, I've continued to self-publish. And these books were a bit later into the late 90s. I wasn't um, publishing so much. I just didn't have enough money and I'd sort of left it a bit. But I was still writing and um, 
Then I realised that I really needed to, as an activist for 30 years, as an archivist for about 20 years by that stage, and an activist since you know the early 70s, that if anybody was going to document our women's liberation movement and our radical lesbian feminist activism, I was in this prime position to do that because I had the three, I was, knew I could write it. Uh, because it was non-fiction, I was writing under my own name then. So I think as I've got older, I've become much more interested in non-fiction. And that's reflected in somebody like Helen Garner, for example, who's written lots of uh, fiction, and now she's almost exclusively writing non-fiction. And I've just finished reading her third diary that she put out. And I think making up stories is, is excellent, and, um, and I enjoyed that when I was doing it, but now I want to write, you know, the reality of life rather than, you know, make up stories so much. When I first started writing, uh, I thought it would be simple, just pen and paper and write away. And it's not, of course, you know, especially when you're starting out. And so I was determined to do it because if at the end of the day, if I hadn't written, uh, I'd feel badly. I'd, you know. So I wrote mainly because I did not want to feel that feeling at the end of the day that I hadn't written. So I'd start in the morning, the kids would go off to I'll take the kids to kindergarten and I eventually had to go and go to the um, the South Melbourne Library. We were living in South Melbourne at that stage in the 60s and because if I just started at home I'd think I'll just do the dishes, I'd procrastinate like mad and that was no good either. So I'd be at the library and I set myself two pages a day, two false cap pages a day because that was achievable and that was just for those couple of hours I was at the library. It was so painful and excruciating. But but once I'd finished, and I'd try and finish in the middle of a sentence so that it would, I'd think, oh yes, I've just finished that sentence and the next day on the next page. I wouldn't be starting with a blank page so much. I'd be starting at the middle of a sentence and I could finish it off. So I had these little tricks to get myself, you know, into the way of writing. Time went on and I was doing that and it was, you know, it got a lot, a lot easier. And only because I made sure that I was doing it every day. And in the morning, primarily because the kids would be at school, etc., etc. And then I had to learn to type. I had to teach myself to type because I had to type them up. So that was another way of editing as I went along. So I could send them off to publishers and things. And then, of course, <clears throat> when I started publishing my own books, I'd be sitting sending them to the typesetter so that the typesetter would type them up for publishing. So by the time I'd finished typing up my first novel, I could type, I knew what to do. I'm still a two-finger typist, but it's better. Then, of course, people would say to me, Jean, you've got to get, what, you don't have it computer what is this you're writing and I haven't got a computer and I go no 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 I'd sit up in bed every morning and write in my uh, long hand that's how I write and it's that connection with the writing and I like that and yes but when you start you know people say but the computer's so much easier no 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 so eventually of course I did 
So I started seeing benefits, but I thought I'll st probably still do it in longhand and then I'll type it all up, which I started doing, typing up my books. And then after a while, much to my astonishment, I found that I was writing directly into the computer and that that was so easy because you could just switch around, you know, as we know, cutting and pasting is so much simpler. So I thought, oh, well, I'll just continue doing that because it was convenient. It was obvious something that I was getting good at as well. I could just write directly onto the computer. And then the ease of that in terms of not having to double up, <laughs> write and then type, uh, was monumental. I have no trouble about disciplining myself. The discipline has been there for decades now. And also, my favourite thing to do is write. You know, I have the joy of writing now is partly because I have disciplined myself that anything, it's, it's an easier practice now. It's not something I have to angst over. I don't care if the, the reading public likes it or not. I don't have to worry about that. I'm not a famous writer. In fact, I've you know, stepped back from that, a, you know, a long time ago because I do not want that angst that writers have. Helen Garner, for example, terrified every time a book comes out. And Virginia Woolf would nearly have a nervous breakdown every time a, a book was coming out. I don't have any of that. I, it doesn't worry me <laughs> if nobody buys my books or whatever. I haven't promoted them. I, you know, haven't ever gone out of my way to try and make a living out of it ever i've never made a living out of it all my money goes into publishing publishing my books and because of my age now i'm 77 i'm no longer writing big books the thought of writing a huge book it's just too much for me now i'm very lucky i did that in my 60s when i was relatively young but i knew if i didn't do it in my 60s when i still had a lot of energy actually in my 60s i would get to 70-ish and I might not get them done. So I was on a trot through the 60s to get those three huge books done, plus another book that I put out a couple of years ago. The thing is that because I've been in the Women's Liberation, Victorian Women's Liberation Lesbian Feminist Archives since 1984, and I've been a dedicated archivist all that time, all that stuff is now at the University of Melbourne Archives and a lot of my material's already there. And they've been happy to take my all my old manuscripts. So there's a whole archive of my writing, and these books will go in there. In 91, Donna Jackson, um, a good friend, decided that she was going to do a women's, women's circus. Now, by, by that time, I, I was in my getting off on my, my late 40s. And I thought, oh, perhaps I could be a clown, you know. Anyway, got to the circus, I joined, and Don didn't like clowns at all. So I was immediately thrust into this environment where I was learning physical circus skills. At 47, I was learning to walk on stilts and do tumbles and everything. I loved it. One of the best community theatres, and uh, there were about a hundred of us uh, at, at the end of the year show. Some were techies and the rest of us were performers. You know, it was brilliant. And so that, that was my life every year. I was in the circus for about six years. I was starting to run circus workshops. If I went to a lesbian festival or a lesbian camp or, you know, 
I started doing circus workshops and teaching other lesbian circus girls. And I was going to a camp called the National 1040 Conferences, which were for every Easter for lesbians and feminists over 40 and ran the usual circus skills workshop. And somebody said, look, I think, Jean, you should organise a, a circus for lesbians over 40 or women over 40. And I said, look, I'm far too flat tack because I was training in, in the contingent to go to Beijing for the Women's Forum there with the circus. I was doing, you know, my usual writing and whatever. And anyway, but once the idea got into my head, that was it. So in the beginning of 95, I set up circus skills workshops for women over 40. I was a bit worried that I might have been setting women up for failure, but it was not true. These women could very easily do trapeze or, or climbing ropes or all of the things, still walkers. Within a couple of months, we had still walkers and, and uh, everything, you know, people on a bike, everything. So I was the director and I was sort of part of the show, but I'd fill in if we needed somebody else to do it. So I was sort of a director on set, really. <laughs> that suited me. That again was another vibrant thing. But because I was in charge of it, you know, in charge in terms of I'd set it up, it was not as relaxing as I've in the women's circus. In the women's circus, I was one of 50 women on stage. Donna Jackson was in charge. I didn't have to do anything except do this, do that, learn that, and you know, and it was much freer. So I was doing both there at one stage. I was doing women's circus and I was doing POW. So I was running workshops in POW and doing a whole range of things. So it was very, very demanding. And then partway through that, my lover at the time was diagnosed with cancer and I realised that I could not keep that pace up anymore. I was in my 50s by that stage, which is still relatively young, but that was a physically and emotionally demanding life I was living. And I don't regret stopping. Both circuses continued on. The women's circus is even mega, more than, than it was back then. And, and the same with power. Power's a little bit less so, but it's still going strong and we're still coming up for the Pride March, uh, myself, helping to carry the power banner in, in Pride March for the last, well, we were in the first Pride March in 96. So all of that time from then. In little ways, I'm still connected with power and I still see it as a really very, very useful and um, uh, physically challenging, but really quite, uh, it's showing that older women can do things that, that they were not expected to do. And I, I, I rather suspect it's probably, when it started, it was probably the only one in the world of, you know, training women over 40 to be circus performers. The thing that we underestimated in the, in the 70s is that the patriarchy is this multi-billion dollar monolith of out to kill with wars. There's at any one time there's about 40 wars happening in the, on the planet. That the munitions industry is another multi-billion dollar industry. 
The internet has huge advantages, but has huge disadvantages. We're stuck with that now. There's no way we can get out of the internet anymore. That's it. So they're trying to make people accountable, but they don't care. Nobody cares. But the, the, the fact that we had a megalomaniac in the White House, in one of the richest, most dominant country in the, on the planet for four years, that's the sort of world we live in. I mean, this idea that civilization <laughs> has got better, and it has. Life has got better for most of us, really, compared to where we've come from. But <laughs> for a lot of people, it hasn't at all. You know, it might have got better, but it's still not anywhere near. You know, places like India, China, even in the States, you know, they've still got capital punishment. Here, the refugee thing, the fact how we treat Aboriginal people is absolutely appalling. It's got better, but <laughs> so nowhere near as good as it could be. So we have to, to the best of our ability in our own small way, that's how I see that I, only in my own small way, if I am not living as closely as possible to how I want the world to be, I'm bullshitting myself. You've been listening to the Prima Donna podcast, Sonic Portraits of Australian Artists. For more information about the project and to hear more episodes like this one, visit primadonnapodcast.com. This podcast was produced on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and I pay respects to Elders past and present.